This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So on the shortest day of the year, the Mets introduced the biggest possible move towards improving the culture and direction of the franchise. Nathaniel William Showalter III is now Mets manager the 24th. A chance to meet him and the requisite take from your weird little podcaster coming right up on a special edition, evening edition of Mets in the Morning. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Unwrapping Christmas gifts a little early this year. First, Starling Marte and company, then Max Scherzer. Now the shiny paper comes off to reveal a grizzled, experienced manager, 65 years old, straight out of central casting by way of small-town Florida. It is now the Buck Showalter era of New York Mets baseball. Josh Lewin with you. Happy holidays. You know, I think the other finalists for this job, both Joe Espada and Matt Quattraro, are going to be good to great big league managers. Either one could have done a nice job in New York, but you had Buck Showalter available. It was a pretty obvious choice. It reminded me of when Peter Griffin drew this question in the final round of Trivial Pursuit in Season 2 of Family Guy. Peter, this is for the win. Say the word, what? Ah, wow. Okay, um, this uh, really separates the men from the boys. Uh, Peter, just say what? Yeah, 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 Lois, Lois, this is not a race. Um, okay, I want to say who. Uh, boy, uh, Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four, uh, steak, 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 uh, small amount of peas. Um, is it what? That's right. Yeah. Sometimes it really is just that easy, and of course it always comes back to random pop culture. But before we roll our interview with Buck, who made his own pop culture headlines, of course, by appearing on Seinfeld, agreeing to cotton uniforms for the Yankees, and pondering why Danny Tartable's swing was suddenly all messed up, George. Uh, Anyway, I have one more pop culture comparison for you, and I hope it hits, because to me, I think Mets fans have always been cast as Charlie Brown waiting to kick the football. Good old Charlie Brown, always optimistic, then falls right on his zigzag shirt when freaking Lucy, a.k.a. the baseball universe, yanks the ball away. The great writer Chuck Klosterman put it this way about that Charlie Brown character in general. He says, If you can't empathize with Charlie Brown, you likely lack an ability to empathize with any fictional character. Here's a child continually humiliated for desiring nothing more The normalcy, the opportunity to kick a football, the aptitude to fly a kite, the freedom to walk down the sidewalk without having a random acquaintance compare his skull to a block of lumber. He wants glory, but not an excessive amount. He's an eight-year-old who needs a psychiatrist, and he has to pay the bill all by himself, only five cents, but still. Charlie Brown knows his life 
is a contradictory struggle, and sometimes his only option is to lie in a dark room alone with his thoughts. He will never win. Yet here's the paradox. Charlie Brown is still happy. He still has friends. He still gets excited about all the projects that are destined to fail. I think that is so well said about Mets fans in a nutshell right there. Some of you only know Charlie Brown and Linus and all those guys from your parents or from the Halloween and Christmas specials. But follow me on this, and I think you'll agree that eventually the spiritual center of the Peanuts universe became not sad sack destined to fail Charlie Brown, but it evolved into this dynamic, imaginative, popular, and successful Snoopy character instead. A little like what happened on the old sitcom Happy Days, which started out as a vehicle for Richie Cunningham and Potsy Weber, and then they pivoted, seeing it was more of a vehicle for the super cool Arthur Fonzarelli. So that brings us back to Buck Snoopy Showalter, Buck the Fonz Showalter. The perception was, until quite recently, the Mets were all about likable characters ultimately destined to fail. Very Charlie Brownish. This now feels a little bit different, doesn't it? I mean, Scherzer is cool. Showalter is cool. And it's made the Mets relevant, not just in New York, but across the baseball landscape. If you remember the Sunday comic section of newspapers back when there was such a thing as comic sections and newspapers, the first strip on the very top of the Sunday comics page was always Peanuts. Always. If comic strips were rock bands, Peanuts was the Beatles. And the Mets are now positioned to be that top-of-the-fold entity themselves. It feels really, really good. So let's get to the Zoom call that introduced Buck Showalter, and we'll have our own sit-down with Buck in short order. He will wear 11, by the way, as Mets manager. Not that you'll ever see it, because he always wears a jacket, even in the middle of July. Here was the new GM, Billy Epler, who tried to hire Buck three years ago in Anaheim. Here's Billy weighing in on the process that led to the hire. It was starting... Starting this interview process uh, a few weeks back, uh, we, we sought to look at, at a variety of candidates from from various backgrounds and uh, and experience levels. Um, we looked at a number of criteria, you know, spanning from from culture and connectivity with with players and staff to you know to embracing new practices in in both player performance and in, in analytics. Um, we wanted to assess how the candidates problem solved, uh, how they communicated, and, and, and most importantly, how they would shape a, a culture with, with high operational standards. So while, the, while the candidates that we, that we talked to clearly made this a, a tough decision, um, and, and frankly, I feel good about the, the future of, of on-field baseball leadership, uh, it, was, it was Buck's ability to connect uh, to a wide range of people uh, his his drive to compete, his curiosity blended with his experience, uh, and his overall adaptability uh, that that led us to to naming him manager of the the New York Mets. Right, that's Billy Epler, and as for the man himself, Buck Showalter, in his own words, here you go. Hey, thanks to everybody. Um, you know, it's a great honor to be here today um, with Angela, and uh, you know, just a heartfelt thank you. Uh, to Steve and Sandy and, of course, Billy uh, and Alex, too. She, everybody, the Mets are very precious to them, uh, the fans. Uh, they're precious to me, the things. It's a, it's a great charge to keep that, that we have ahead of us. And uh, I just want everybody to know that uh, uh, it's going to be a priority 
you know, from day one to put a product out there that everybody can be proud of. You know, there's going to be people when we're on the West Coast uh, staying up to one or two o'clock in the morning to see how the Mets did or do. And, you know, I just want everybody to embrace that responsibility and uh, uh, very excited about the uh, potential for things this season and beyond. And, uh, you know, just about, you know, Steve continues to eliminate excuses that we might have for things we can't do. I'm very excited about uh, the analytical department and the things that they're going to bring for us to give us hopefully an advantage. And in uh, all the work, Billy and I and, and Sandy are starting to put together the coaching staff. We'll take our time. And it's just a, it's got the potential to continue to be the great place that it is and was. Uh, so, you know, not a lot of lip service. It's, uh, it's kind of a show me situation. And uh, I just want everybody to know that the, uh, you know, the Mets are going to be uh, something that's very precious to the people that that uh, we bring in. And um, it's, a, it's a great responsibility that uh, I and we will take very seriously every day. And a question posed on the Zoom call right away. How do you get the talent on the roster to become an actual winner? And you try to bring what the players need. You know, you, you try to decide and figure out what the, the needs are, you know, to be to reach their potential. And um uh, I think that's, you know, it's not about someone adjusting to me. It's adjusting to the needs of, of the team and, uh, you know, leaning on uh, Sandy and Billy and a lot of people that are here. I think one of the mistakes people make is when they come into a situation and think everything there isn't good or has to be changed. That, that's, that's a mistake and that won't be done. There's some really quality people here that uh, can be part of it. So I think slow down and not knee jerk and, you know, I purposely try to have a real clear mind about every every player and uh, trying to make up my own mind about things. But at the same time, lean on people that that uh, you know I know know more than I do. So um, there's no magic sprinkle dust. It's about winning baseball games. Of course, the question about analytics came up right away. It's an old school guy capable of getting with new school data. Is that true? Can that be a thing? Well, there's a lot of common denominators of uh, teams that win consistently. And I think one of my biggest, one of the biggest things I'm drawn to is teams and situations and organizations that can win consistently. It's so hard to do, especially winning when you're expected to win. But uh, the adaption of different methodology, you know, if you look at certain guys without mentioning names and their ability to do that, it's how they have continued to have success. But uh you know, all the information out there, I'll, I'll just say this, Steve. It, if somebody thinks that I'm going to go back to the hotel or the house and think that maybe we got beat because someone else had better or, or used information better than we did or analytics, whatever you want to call it, you, you don't know me very well. Okay. I, uh, I've always been very spongeful with information to a fault. And just like everybody else, I don't have a corner on it. There's a lot of smart people in this game, but if you think that I'm going to, to uh, let somebody beat us uh, by having better analytical information or because someone on the staff doesn't understand it, then I'm not going to talk about it. We'll, we'll show you. But there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of avenues. You, I think one of the things a manager has to do is create avenues where every department feels comfortable and everybody can bring what they bring. You know, I, I'm, one of my pet peeves is any type of hazing, whether it be a player, whether it be any, no, it just doesn't happen. We, uh, if you're wearing Mets blue and orange, then, you know, bring it. Let's go. Bring what you bring and make sure we create a comfortable atmosphere for that to happen in.
And finally, answering a question from Joel Sherman, how do you relate to the modern day player now as opposed to when you first got going? Yeah, you know, it's about what do the players need from me? And without naming names, because I know all the situation we're in with that, but, you know, it's trying to bring what a player needs, you know, and trying to evaluate what they need. And, you know, your ego is not as such that you, you know, you don't, uh, you have that vulnerability to deliver it. And uh, I mean, that's the end game. The game's about the players. It's about creating an environment that, that makes their skills come to the top and, you know, and being proactive with things, before you, you have to react to them, to have your finger on the pulse of, of things in there. And it's about, you know, who the players want to be. You know, who do we want to be? What do we want to be about? Because, you know, a long time ago, somebody named Billy Martin told me, he said, hey, you got to do what's right. You know, players we might mourn you for five minutes. I understand the shelf life of managers. So you bring what is needed by the players and the organization, and you understand what your job description is to uh, get them to play at the apex of their game. Now, whether I have to, you know, if there's something different going in on, I'll know what music they're listening to, Joe. I'll know what, believe it or not, I'll know what uh, certain styles that they like and whatever. You know, hey, I look forward to that. I mean, it's part of life. It's it's fun. And uh, they might be surprised at uh, some of the songs I'll be humming around the locker room. If Buck hums Need to Know by Doja Cat in spring training, I will be duly impressed. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. So, before we get to our one-on-one, a little Buck backstory. He grew up in the panhandle of Florida in a little town called Century. It's called a poke and plum part of the country because, as the locals say, by the time you poke your head out of the car window to look at it, you are plum out of town. He was known back home to his family as Nat, not Buck, uh, short for his middle name, Nathaniel. Buck's given name, William Nathaniel Showalter III, his dad, William Jr., actually caught young Nat's first ever Little League home run. William Showalter passed away in 1991, and three weeks after that, his son got the job as manager of the Yankees. From his dad, I think you can say Buck learned discipline and protocol, and that can cut many ways. I mean, he's criticized Ken Griffey Jr. for wearing his cap backwards, criticized Barry Bonds for wearing an earring. Remember, this is the son of a Deep South high school principal. Law and order and attention to detail are traits handed down. He idolized Mickey Mantle growing up in the South. You may remember Mickey Calloway was named for Mickey Mantle, but did Mickey Calloway have all 249 episodes of The Andy Griffith Show on DVD? Probably not. Buck Showalter actually bought that complete set as soon as DVD collections were a thing about 25 years back. The pro career 
began 45 years back. He was a fifth-round pick in 1976, same as Tim Raines. Uh, Not quite that Hall of Fame playing career, obviously, for Showalter, but hey, maybe a Hall of Fame managing career. Right now, only Gene Mock and Dusty Baker have managed more games without winning a World Series. Only Mock has managed more games without winning a pennant. Is it possible that Showalter's the type of manager who can only get you so far? Maybe. I mean, that's been what's happened to this point, but it's not like the Mets get that far with any kind of regularity. They've made the playoffs only twice in the last 15 years. Maybe these two will be good for each other. Buck can help the Mets get to the World Series. The Mets can help Buck get to Cooperstown, 20 miles away from where he started his managing career in Oneonta back in the early 1980s. Let's get you to our one-and-one. Here we go, the sit-down with Buck Showalter. So, Buck, not the first time you'll have the script Mets across your chest on game day. 45 years ago, you're on Cape Cod playing summer ball for the Hyannis Mets hitting 434, by the way. Uh, I know Jim Tracy was in that league that summer, too. Two future big league managers spending the bicentennial summer together. If you can take us back 45 years, what did a 20-year-old Nat Showalter think he was going to accomplish in his baseball career? Hey, I got to tell you, Josh, how about the mustache? You see the mustache? Pretty good. Hey, looked like a walrus, didn't I? I want to see him in shorts and uh, and a tank top in 76, too. Hey, Lori Shulman liked it. That's all that mattered, right? Now, here's the deal. Best summer of my life until hopefully this summer. But, uh, you know, a little town came out. First year, Hyannis had a team in that league. And I went uh, uh, up there, and I was like, wow, there's another world up here. And, you know, had a good season. Was a short-order cook uh, in the morning. I'd open up the Hyannis newsstand from 6 to 10, do breakfast, get lunch ready. Uh, go wash my uniform, take a nap, uh, hang out a couple line drives, and hit the streets with the rest of the young college people. When they opened up those colleges up there, I was like, whoa, there's another world out here. I went to the Alaskan League the next year. A little different in uh, Kenai Peninsula and Hyannisport, I can tell you that. No but uh, learn how to cook those eggs and the grits. And Well, they, I brought the grits up, and they weren't real popular up in the Hyannisport, but uh, – <laughs> Making uh, breakfast every morning, and it got to be people came in just to laugh at me. It was so entertaining watching me try to cook breakfast. <laughs> well, you you played collegiately and played quite well at Mississippi State, where the grits are appreciated, I'm sure. Then you get drafted by the Yankees, and, and you seem to assimilate to the Yankees' culture and Northeast culture so easily, Buck. How how much of that was your upbringing? Because you've described your late father as kind of an Andy Griffith, Sheriff of Mayberry type. It seems like you were very prepared for a life of whatever, wherever. Yeah, I uh, I think I had a little advantage, Josh, growing up in a small town of about 2,000, 2,500, because everybody knew everybody. You know, there were two churches. There was one gas station. There was uh, one grocery store. Uh, there were no lights. Um, so if you were rude to somebody or whatever, your mother would hear about it. You know, going to school, your dad's a principal was a challenge. Uh, you had to hustle for a prom date. There weren't only about 40, 50 people in each class. Um, smallest public school, I think, in the state of Florida. I can remember winning the high school state championship there in baseball my senior year and coming over the hill back to the hometown. And every car in town was lining the street. That's huge. Not that I remember. So it's all relevant, you know, whether you're winning a state championship in high school or being the last team standing in the big league. So I thought I had an advantage in a lot of ways, you know, 
because my mother and dad, I was very fortunate to have them both very involved in my life. And let's face it, I'm at the mercy of the mothers and fathers of the world because by the time I get somebody at the big league level, they pretty much uh, form how they're going to treat people and what they're going to hold as precious and dear in competing. So, um, I mean, I tell scouts all the time, be sure you know where the mom and dad are sitting and go sit behind them. You'll get a better idea about the player than you might watch in the game. Hmm. Now, you started managing Buck at the age of 29 in Oneonta. Uh, Al Leiter is part of that pitching staff. You guys went 55 and 23. I looked it up. Then the next year, you guys got better. So were you that great of a manager right away? Or was the organization simply loaded? Was it a combination of the two? But more to the point, I think the question is, what's the biggest difference between the Buck Walter that managed in Oneonta and even Fort Lauderdale and the Buck Walter who now manages the Mets? You know, believe it or not, I still carry a few of those things. First of all, your first part of your question, we had great players. Like they take a look at it. You know, during that time, I tell people a lot of time, if you want to look at drafts, look at five through 15 rounds. You really get an idea whether the guys know what they're doing. Because, you know, the first five rounds kind of jump out at you. You know, anybody could just about do it. All you got to do is read Baseball America or MLB.com, and you'll understand there are no secrets anymore. But the Yankees, for years, they, they drafted college players 5 through 15. And, well, they had to go somewhere. They went to Oneonta. So, let's, you know, I wasn't some uh, whiz kid. I had really good players. And I got to manage them just about all the way up. Uh, we'll take a part of that question. You got me thinking about all my, my guys down in Oneonta. Deion Sanders, um, John Elway. I didn't wow. manage him. Well, I managed uh, Deion. John, I saw, I actually uh, played uh, in spring training with him. Josh, what's the second part of your question? You know, just talking about what you know now about yourself as a manager as opposed to when you were first starting. Well, out. you know, it, it's actually funny. You know, I, I used to, I remember we had a thing called a watch line, and I would call. North Dakota State and find their nickname and their color. I got some player from uh, Lafayette College. Was and, and as you're walking through stretching, you go, "Hey, how the how the Pirates going to do this year? How'd you feel about wearing that black and gold?" And they're like, "Wow, this guy knows who I am." There's a connection that you're not just a number and a and a name. And you know, I think it's important that players realize you care about them more than just because getting to know that part of a player helps you paint a picture that helps you put them in position to be successful in the team you know, gets that. So I've always been an information, uh, I guess, sponge. There's another word that I would use in the locker room. I, I love information. You know, I can sit there and read a bio on someone in detail and have a pretty good idea. You know, like there's certain absolutes. I see I see something. I go, oh, geez, that's going to be a red flag. I remember talking to a pitcher one time. I go, what positions you play when you didn't pitch? He goes, well, I didn't. I only pitch. I go, uh-oh. You know, but there's exceptions, Josh, to everything. You might find a guy that didn't do anything, but pitch was outstanding. So you don't say, oh, everything's like this and everything's like this. There's exceptions, there are, but there are likenesses. So getting to know the players and making sure you, 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 you know, value their career and are going to try to help them. We are so blessed to have you, brother. Welcome back to New York. We will see you soon. Josh, thanks for having me. I hope I answered the questions long enough where you didn't have to ask another one. No editing will be necessary. It's perfect. (laughs) All right, there you go. Appreciate Buck for his time on what was a very busy day for him. Tons and tons of Zoom calls and interviews, but he made the time for us. We appreciate it. Music is up. Podcast is ending with a salute to our Mets in the Morning house band. Every one of them with a birthday on December 21st. 
the day Buck Showalter was formally introduced. On keyboards, Elliot Maddox, slapping the bass, Roger McDowell, the horn section, Latroy Hawkins, and on drums, also born on December 21, John Mayberry Jr. Yeah, see, from Mayberry to Mayberry. See what I did there? Got to get that Andy Griffith thing tied back in. Getting good with Buck right away. This is Josh Lewin. Have yourself a wonderful holiday season. Welcome back to New York, Buck Showalter. Take care, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.